Welcome home to Sycamore Baptist Church. Today's message is entitled, You Are a Theologian. Man, I just tell you, I, I just praise the Lord for being in this house this morning. We, we're just so thankful. There is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Christ. Amen. And it is great to be here. Uh, I would like to, we're going to talk about something that I believe is extremely important uh, to every believer, every Christian today. Uh, is something, for some reason, we seem to be a little bit, I would say, maybe maybe we're, we don't like the word theology or, or theologian, but what I want to talk to you about this morning is the fact that you are a theologian. You're a theologian, I'm a theologian, like, what? Am, I mean, what are you trying to say to me? I'm a theologian, you are a theologian, and um, and I want to talk about that today. Uh, let me let me start. Sorry, I'm kind of getting my notes all together at the same time. We've been back there working a new technique on our sound this morning, and so we've been moving everywhere. But this morning, I do want to talk about you being a theologian. And you might not feel like one, but as a Christian, a theologian is simply a person who engages in the- theology. It's a person who engages in theology. Again, for some reason, Christians today seem to be intimidated by the word theology. Uh, Theology is simply the study of God and how he relates to the world. That's all theology is. Theology is the study of God and how God relates to this world, to us, his creation. So let me ask you, what are we engaging in right now? Are we not engaging in theology as we come to listen to God's word being taught and preached to us? That is the study of God and how he relates to this world. What are we engaging in when we come to Sunday school class? One day we'll get back there. But what are we doing when we engage in Sunday school class? We're actually engaging in theology, are we not? This study of God and how he relates to this world. So we, we should not be intimidated by the word theology. We do it, and we should do that every single day. So why are we put off by that word? As a, as a child of God, we should have a strong desire to study about God. We should want to study how he relates to us and to the world. And somewhere along the way, we have lost the importance of this word theology. We have lost the importance of correct, right thinking about our God and how he relates to us. Somewhere we have allowed our culture to impress upon us some erroneous, mistaken, false ideas that have made their way into our theology, our understanding of God. There are areas where we have allowed ourselves to believe incorrectly about God and how he relates to us. You see, if our theology is correct, then our worldview will be correct as well. And it matters, Christian, it matters how we view the world. Are we viewing the world through the lenses of our culture? Or are we viewing the world through the lenses of Scripture? That's what matters as a Christian, to view the world through God's eyes, through Scripture. Now, y'all see that I wear a a pair of glasses. If I do not have my glasses, I would literally stumble everywhere. I couldn't read anything. My glasses right now, you may not notice it, but in the sun, if you were talking to me closely, you could see that the 
the film, they put a protective film on my glasses. Now, these glasses I purchased from a particular location, and within a month, the film started breaking down. And when it breaks down, it, it becomes smudgy, and, and I, I feel like I have scratches all over my glasses. Well, I went and took them back in, and then they, they replaced the lenses with some new ones. Well, then in two weeks, the film did, did the same thing. The film began to break down, and, and I'm looking at you, and I'm seeing what seems to be a bunch of smudges and scratches. You can't see them, but I can see them. And when I look out of my glasses, then I'm not seeing you clearly, right? I'm not seeing everything as vividly and clearly as I ought. And that's a lot like how we look at things in our world. If our theology has smudges and scratches on the lenses, then we will have a distorted view of our world around us. We'll have a distorted view of God and a distorted view of how he relates to us and how he relates to others. And so it's very important that our, that our spiritual glasses, if you will, are clean, that we can see clearly and visibly the way God has intended us to see. Therefore, we must make it a priority to learn and possess a biblical worldview. We should know what is God's truth. For when we do, it's easy to spot the lies out there. When we know God's truth, it's very easy. When we hear someone teaching something contrary to the word of God, it's easy to recognize it, is it not? It just resonates wrong with you as soon as you hear it, because you've been in the word of God. As soon as you hear it, it just resonates something wrong with that statement. And you go back to the word and you begin to read the word and you, and you realize, OK, this is what God said. We will encounter lies. Do you not agree? A lot of lies about God, a lot of lies about his word. They are everywhere. Many people who stand behind wooden pulpits like this one will spew lies the second, uh, to help us with this, we're, we're going to get to Scripture here. We're going to look at the letter, one of the letters Paul wrote to Timothy. We're going to go to 2 Timothy right now. The second letter to Timothy, again, was written by Paul when he was in a Roman prison. It was not very long after Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was put to death. Therefore, we can actually look at 2 Timothy in, a light, in the light of Paul instilling into Timothy some of his very last words. Now, last words are vitally important. Would you agree? Uh, many of you may have been by the bedside of a loved one who shared and imparted to you some very beautiful and special last words, words you've clung on to this very day. We treasured what our loved ones tell us in their last days. We, we may often think of what our last words ourselves would be to our children, our grandchildren, our friends. What are the things most important to us? What are those life lessons that we want to make sure they remember, that they know words for them to live their lives by? And Paul wanted to use his last words to write a letter to Timothy, someone he held very, very dear Someone he even considered a son in the faith, like his own son, someone he's discipled and poured into. Paul begins this letter as he usually did, by stating who he is in Christ and why, he's a why he is qualified to say what he's about to say. Then he addressed the letter to the chosen recipient, which this one is Timothy. Next, he sends his prayers to Timothy, he's, his thankfulness for Timothy, 
And then he encourages Timothy. And then he, after this opening address, he gets right to the point of his letter. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8. We're going to go through verse 8 through verse 14. Let's read God's absolute truth together. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which I, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Pray with me. Lord, I, I love you so much, and I am so thankful for the preparation of the absolute truth of your word. God, I pray that I would honor you right now, that I would obey you, and I would be completely submissive it, and that he was convinced of its validity and its truth. Paul knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. It was coming to a close. He knew that the gospel would advance through those who would come after him he realized the importance of correct doctrine, of accurate theology, which he had been teaching to Timothy. Now, this letter is a reminder to Timothy to continue to hold fast to the theology he's been taught by Paul, which Paul has entrusted into his life, sound doctrine. This is the first truth this morning as I read this text that convicted me. Who are the men in my life that I am personally responsible for? Who am I teaching a correct understanding of God to? Teaching them how God relates to them and how God relates to others. Who am I taking under my wing like Paul did Timothy? Now, I know I'm a pastor and I can default and say, well, I, I teach so many people, but the truth is there should be people in my life that I have personally taken aside and invested God's word into. And so God convicts me of this. Who are the people that you are teaching the Bible to right now? Is it a friend? Is it a coworker? Is it your spouse? Is it your children? Is it your grandchildren? Your classmates? Maybe a neighbor? Who is it that you've taken under your wing to teach God's word? And by the way, there's a lot of young Christians who need older Christians to take them under their wing and pour in into them God's word. Teach them about God and how God relates to them and the world. Who is it? And to teach them, now understand, to teach them, we must teach them accurately, biblically, truthfully, honestly, boldly. We, where are we getting our information from? We have both an advantage, it's a blessing and a curse today. We can we are the Google generation. We don't need to know the answer, we just need to find the answer in 1.2 seconds. That's how we live our day today. 
Uh, oh, what, what are your, what's your question? Let me get out my phone. Let me search the answer. And then we spit out the answer, but we don't internalize the answer. Now, here's the problem with that. That can be a very blessing, right? Because used to be you had to search out and go to a library and search out a lot of uh, read the Bible, but also read other other men who have who are theologians who have written really good commentary on the Bibles. And you wanted to learn more. So you so you want to dig into these men and, and learn from the from what they're teaching. Right. But you would have to go somewhere to get those today. All of this information is at your fingertips, which is great. But that also means there's a lot of erroneous information at your fingertips. It's really, really easy today to find someone that's not teaching the Bible correctly. And if you're not in God's word yourself, it's very easy to let that wind of their doctrine toss you to and fro and get lost in it. So we must pay attention to who we sit under and listen to. Who we learn from. I'm sure I believe that you're like I am, that that I don't want my last words to be something to my kids like, hey, I left you a car. Hey, I left you a house, which I don't own a house. <laughs> hey, I, I left you X amount of dollars. I hope and pray that, that I will be able to point my children to what matters most, what I've been teaching them their whole life. God. God's absolute truth. His word. I, I pray that I can say, remember, my kids, all that I have taught you, everything I've entrusted to you that I've taught you from God's word. Remember that. Hold fast to that. And teach others that. Teach your children that. Here's the first thing here in verse eight that Paul tells Timothy in this letter. Look at verse eight with me. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Now hear me, Christian. Word. Never, never be ashamed of what is written in the pages of his word. It is his absolute truth. Stand upon his word. Never be ashamed of it. Many, Christian, many, many Christians today will tell me, well, I'm not ashamed of his word, and I beg to differ. I've seen shame and guilt over the faces of some we should never be embarrassed by it. Many Christians say, say that, but let me just say this. How many Christians today believe that homosexuality is completely okay? How many Christians who have the word of God would say, oh, homosexuality is okay? Why would you say that? Why would I say that? I would never say that. I love those people too much to say that. How many people today believe that adultery is permissible? I would never say that. I care too much about them to say that. Adultery is never permissible. That is God's word. I'm not ashamed of that. How many are convinced that God is the God of love only and therefore he would never send anyone to hell? 
No, he will. Let me tell you, he will. And I'm not ashamed of that. If you reject Jesus, that's where you'll go. And I'm not ashamed of that. That's what his word says. I don't cower on that. That's what his word says. How many are convinced that abortion is just a woman's choice and it's not the murder of an unborn child? I'm not ashamed to say it is. God handcrafted that baby. We are so we are so quick to jump on the bandwagon of many false beliefs of this culture. When asked what we believe about the origin of, of humanity, why do many Christians hang their heads and remain silent? Well, what do you think? Do you think the world, like they say, them backwater Christians is only around 6,000 years old? Amen, I do. Because that's what this teaches me. And I'm not ashamed of that. I will stand before anybody with any kind of letters behind their name and say, yes, the world is only around 6,000 years as the Bible records because this is true history. I'm not ashamed of that. I believe that there is only one race, the human race. I believe that all people are descendants from one man, Adam, and one woman, Eve. And I am not ashamed of that fact. I believe that the world, I said that already. I believe that the only way for anyone to enter into heaven is through accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. I do not believe that everyone gets a free pass into heaven. As a pastor, one of the most difficult things I do is a funeral. And I take it as a great honor from God to be there with a family and try my very best to instill the word of God into their lives and the love of God into their lives and his comfort. But I do not stand up and give false hope because I go to every funeral and every funeral somehow, some way, everybody's going to heaven. No, they're not. And I'm not ashamed of that. Also, Paul writes, do not be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Paul, again, he's in a Roman prison. And most who knew Paul of that day probably would describe him as being imprisoned by the Roman Empire. But that's not what Paul says. Uh, says that He says this, nor of me, whose prisoner? The Romans prisoner? No, the Lord's prisoner. You see, I serve the Lord, Paul says. Paul understands a reality he understands that if he's in prison, it's by the very will of God. And he accepts that. And he gladly serves God there. I'm his prisoner. I serve the Lord and I serve him only. If I'm in prison at all, it's because Jesus has placed me there. We often act like those early disciples. When Jesus was arrested, most of the disciples fled. But instead of fleeing, we should stand. Amen. Throughout this year and in previous years, there have been many Christians who've spoken out about the horrors and the atrocities that are taking place. Yet when I look on social media, I hear all that, but I don't hear enough brothers and sisters responding by standing next to them. Instead, they'll remain silent. Or they'll even respond negatively to them. For standing on the word of God. 
Do not let this cancel culture cancel you out. We must never be ashamed of those who stand upon God's word, especially when they're being persecuted, oppressed, scrutinized for it. Now, notice uh, here uh, some good theology. Many Christians actually think they are blessed when they don't suffer. You heard that, right? I'm blessed because I'm not suffering. Wait a second. He says, but share in what? Share in this suffering, Timothy. You share in this suffering. And most of us go, no, no, thank you. No, thank you, Paul. No, 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 no. I don't want to share in that suffering. I don't want that suffering. But Paul says, no, you know, you need to share in this. Listen, when you follow God and when you serve God, you will share in the sufferings of Christ. You will. As you stand upon the word of God, you will suffer for it. Make no mistake about it. If you're not sharing in the suffering for Christ, you're not standing upon the word of Christ. Amen. Paul says to Timothy and to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't avoid the ridiculing eye. Share in the suffering for the gospel. We can share in the suffering for the gospel because the power of God resides within us. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in the lives of every Christian. Therefore, don't be ashamed. Yes, be merciful, be gracious, be loving, but also be bold, be courageous, stand up and speak up. Here's some more correct theology, but sharing the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's great theology. Romans 1.16 says it this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. It is the gospel. So listen, my friends, our eloquent words won't save anyone. Our cleverly worded speeches Our carefully constructed sermons in and of themselves can't save anyone. It is the gospel that saves. So there's too many behind a pulpit who stay away from the gospel. Why do they stay away from the gospel? Because you and I, when we hear the gospel, we realize something. We are a sinner in need of a savior. But the word sinner is not popular. It is only the gospel that will save the sinner. The disobedient one to God. It is through the gospel that the sinner realizes their need for a savior. So we must stop saying I. We must stop saying I share the gospel by what I do, not by what I say. Can't now listen. It's noble. We should every one of us should strive to live a godly life before all mankind. Amen. But we have to open our mouths and share the gospel. That's good theology. Open your mouth and God can open their heart. Amen. Look at verse nine. Who who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. More holy calling. God has called you to a holy calling. There is a divine purpose for you on this earth. God gave it to you. You have a divine purpose to be here. 
It's amazing. A Christian shouldn't wander around like a leaf in the wind aimlessly thinking, what in the world am I here for? He clearly lays it out in his absolute truth why you are saved and why you are here. Let me give you a big hint. The gospel. You received it. Now declare it to others. God saved us and called us not because of anything we did. He did it because of his own purpose and his own grace. Praise God. What's his purpose? What's God's purpose? You remember that none should perish, but that all may repent and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That's the purpose of God. Amen. His purpose is to save the sinner, to reconcile humanity back to himself, to bring all of humanity into a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. That's correct theology. He did this by his grace. We could call this grace charity, can't we? He offers us salvation even though we didn't deserve it. Yet he still freely offered it to everyone. That's great theology. That is, what, that is what God intended from the very beginning, which quotes there, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. Verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul tells Timothy that God's purpose and grace is clearly visible through Jesus saving him and calling him. It's now been manifested. Timothy, you've seen it. It's been shown to you. Christ has appeared. You've seen Jesus. You saw his ministry. You know what he did. The appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It really all happened. It was clearly visible. It was Jesus and him alone who abolished death. It was Jesus and him alone who brought life and immortality. See, when the light of the gospel shines on our face, we have a choice to turn our face away or look into the light of his glory. Amen. And if we accept his his grace, the gospel, we accept the fact that Jesus died for our sins. Then we are a child of God, right? He saves our soul. But if we reject it, we're not his child. The Bible will declare us sons of disobedience. And a child of disobedient has an eternal resting place. And that's not heaven. I love you enough to tell you that. I love everybody else enough to tell you that. Tell them that. Without Jesus, there is a real place called hell. It is prepared for, it was, wasn't meant for you, but if you're going to remain a child of disobedience, that's where you'll end up. See, but... The beautiful thing is death can be abolished when we accept the gospel. You don't have to die. You don't have to live an eternal death in hell. Life and immortality can come to you through the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. That's true theology. And I'm not ashamed of it. Verse 12. Which is why I suffer as I do. There's that suffering again. But I am not ashamed, Paul says, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, why? Why is Paul not ashamed of these facts? 
Paul is not ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed of God's word. He's not ashamed to suffer for Jesus Christ. Why? Because he knows Jesus. He knows Jesus. He says, for I know whom I have believed. I know who I have placed my life in the hands of. I know whom I trust with every fiber of my being, and that's Christ. We have no reason to be ashamed when we know Christ. When we know his word, we have no reason to be ashamed of his words. Now, others may fall into shame because they are not confident in their knowledge of God and how he relates to this world. That can happen. It shouldn't happen, but it can. If we're not d- devoting ourselves to reading God's word, you'll find yourselves in conversations where you may want to walk away in shame because you realize you don't know enough about the topic. We must first know him personally. Amen. Christ personally. Accepting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Then we embark on a journey to know him more and more each and every day. That is the study of theology, my friends. Don't be afraid of the word. It's a journey that we're all on as his children. It's called theology. We should be studying about our God and how he relates to us and to the world. And Paul also has no reason to be ashamed because he knows Jesus is able to guard him until that day. By giving his life to Jesus, Jesus had entrusted some things to him. And one of the most precious things that he entrusted to Paul was abundant life, everlasting life. And Paul knows that Jesus and he alone is able to guard that promise and make it into a reality. Amen. I know that. I know that Christ can do that. I'm convinced, wholeheartedly convinced that he, Jesus, is able to keep, to guard, to watch over. Nothing can snatch me out of his grasp. I will have everlasting life. Jesus will fulfill his word. That is great theology. Therefore, Paul says to Timothy and to us, know what you believe Know whom you believe in. Do not be ashamed of him or his word. Walk boldly in what you know. Verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, never be ashamed of Jesus. Never be ashamed of his words. And always follow sound words. Sound words. Doctrine, sound theology, correct theology. Always follow that. The word follow means to have, to hold, to possess. The King King James would say, hold fast. Hold fast to what you've been taught. Hold on to what you've been taught. Keep and trust. Hold it tightly. Good, sound words, sound truth, sound doctrine, theology. The Greek word for follow is a word that if we spelled it in the English would be echo. I'm not going to say it in the Greek because when I say it, it's like it's like you're spitting everywhere. But let's say the word Greek here, echo, Paul 
Uh, it's a beautiful picture. Paul's like, what I have taught to you, Timothy, you're now to echo that teaching to others. You know, when you're in a cave and you call out a, a sentence or a word in the cave, you say three words in the cave and you get, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? And it goes further in the distance and it goes further in the distance and further in the distance. It never changes words, does it? You can call out an echo and it's always your words repeated over and over again. And the distance just goes further and further and further away in the distance. But it never changes words. You see the picture here. Paul has entrusted the very words of God into Timothy. And he says, echo it out to others. You don't change it. You just keep echoing it out to others. This is discipleship. This is the passing on of theology. Paul has taught Timothy about God and how he relates to this world. And now Timothy needs and must do the very same thing. I'm going to tell you something. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to tell you this. That's why American Christianity, the, the American church is suffering so badly today. Because we're missing the generational discipleship. We're desperately missing the generational discipleship. We have gotten in ourselves so uh, uh, constrained to programs where we will not come together to read and study the Word of God together unless someone puts a Sunday school class on the calendar at an hour. When we can just call one another up and say, hey, meet me at the park. Let's study the Word of God together. We don't do that anymore. I'm sure there's some that do, but by and large, as a group of Christians, children of God, we don't do that. There are so many people, generations coming up, that need us. And if every one of us, hear me, if every one of us just took a couple of people, just two people, a piece and disciple them for a few years. And then they take a couple of people and disciple them for a few years. In 10 years, can you imagine how strong Christianity would be in America? Can you imagine how sound the theology and how sound the doctrine would be? We have generations coming up who don't even understand what they believe and why they believe it. And no wonder it's so easy to be tossed in, to and fro by every wind of doctrine that's out there. There's so much garbage out there. See, friends, this is the pattern of every Christian's life. We are to learn all that we can about God through his word and through men and women who will faithfully teach his word. And then we're to do the same. We should pass that theology on to the next generation. But is that what we're doing? Are we seeking to learn all we can about Jesus, about God, about the Holy Spirit, about his word the Bible, his absolute truth. There was a time when I decided to bring all the Sunday school classes. Now, wasn't at this church. I always say that caveat it wasn't here. But there was a time when I decided to bring all the Sunday school classes together and teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, biblically walk through the gospel again with them, and then give everybody the opportunity throughout the class for it was about six, I think six to eight weeks, that during the weeks they would have times where they would be able to share the gospel with different people. Not only their class, but some younger classes and some older classes. And everybody would have a moment where they got to actually share the gospel with one another. One another. How amazing is that, right? That should be a given. That's great. 
The only problem is I had one Sunday school class that refused, would not come into the class, the big group. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't believe it. I said, why? When we're talking about the gospel. We know the gospel is the power unto salvation. Why wouldn't you want to know and be reminded again afresh and anew about the gospel from the Bible? Why wouldn't you like to share the gospel with others? Because the thing was, there are people, I told them, and I'll tell you, there are people who sit in pews of churches and sit in Sunday school classes who aren't saved. You might just be surprised that someone received Jesus Christ as you share the gospel with them in a Sunday school group. Praise God. I was like, this is a great opportunity. And then I started digging a little deeper. This was an adult group that refused to come. And here's why I found out they didn't come. It was because I had asked them to share the gospel with others. And they were afraid. From their words, not mine, they were afraid that the students knew more about the gospel than they did. Now that's convicting, folks. An adult Sunday school class was afraid to go in and share the gospel because they were concerned that the teenagers might know the gospel better than they. But what was it? It was really pride, wasn't it? It was pride because they didn't want to be put in an embarrassing situation where they weren't the master of that information. Guys, I'm just going to tell you, pride needs to be thrown out the window. Amen? We need to throw pride out the window. We need to all learn. There's, there's some people younger than me that are way more brilliant than I am. And there's a lot of people that are older than me that are way more wiser than I am. And I need to throw the, the, the pride out the window and sit at the, their feet and learn. Simply to avoid embarrassment, they rather protest and sit it out. I saw a couple issues in this. One, has anyone ever taken them under their wing personally and taught them the gospel and how to share it? Has anyone ever given them a pattern of sound doctrine to hold fast to? I'm not talking about a program. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about Christians, fellow Christians, taking one another under their wing and teaching them the word of God. Has there been anybody do that in their life? The other issue I thought was, why didn't they take it upon themselves to search God's scripture out? And to search for godly men and women who could help them learn God's word. Listen, if we have a hunger to learn about God and how he relates to this world, then you and I will read God's word and we'll seek out godly people to pour sound doctrine into our lives. A side note. As a Christian, we don't seek out words that we like. Hear me. This happens all too often on the Internet. We come to a conclusion that we think might be correct, and then we go out on the Internet and find people that match our view. That's not biblically searching out the scriptures. That's just finding. Listen, if you go to the Internet, you're always going to find people that will agree with you. No matter how. Listen, no matter how crazy it is. You might wake up today and say the earth is flat. And you will find people who will vehemently defend the fact that the world's flat. But they would be mistaken. Just like in Scripture. You can read, you can read something and say, I think that might mean this, but you will find people who can agree with you. You don't look for people to agree with you. You look, you look for people teaching the Word of God truthfully, accurately, and honestly.
Listen, we don't seek out a pastor who makes us feel good about ourselves. We seek out a pastor who teaches the word of God truthfully, boldly, honestly, and accurately. I was talking to somebody this past week and they're like, I like so-and-so. I will not say the name right now. But it, I said, he is a great motivator, but that is all he is as a motivator. He does not preach the gospel. He does not preach the Bible. He doesn't even talk about sin. And if you don't talk about sin, how can a congregation ever understand they need a savior? We don't seek out people like that. We don't seek out a church just because it has a lot of amenities to offer our families. Whether it's a coffee shop, a light show, or a spectacular program, we seek out a church that is geared and structured to disciple you and your family in God's word. A church that gives you a pattern of sound doctrine to follow and hold on to. A church like this might be very big. A church like this might be very small. It may have a lot of great programs. It may not have many programs at all. But here's the fact of this church. If you find a church that's centrally focused on the, on the gospel, on the Bible, on God and his word. It matters not how many programs they have. It matters not what amenities they have. Make sure they're preaching the truth of God's word or walk out. Some focus, some, some churches today focus on spectacular visual worship experience. That's the focus. And some are more like a Baskin Robbins approach to all these different small groups. It's something for everybody. I've got something for everybody. It's one flavor and it's all you need and it's all I need. And once we have given, been given this pattern of sound doctrine to follow, we must guard it. I finished with verse 14 and y'all have been amazing. By the Holy Spirit who dwells, who lives within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard his truth. Guard sound doctrine. How are you to guard it? By the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. He'll guard it. Let me tell you, we, sometimes we guard some things that we need to throw away. I'm just going to tell you. There's some things that we've learned possibly as we've grown up that aren't biblical. And we should throw it away. But what is biblical, what is sound, what is a good deposit, what is good theology, sound doctrine. We need to guard it with everything we have, with the power of the Holy Spirit, who is God, who resides in every believer. We need to guard that. You stop allowing, stop allowing someone to come up to you and go, oh, that's not true. Oh, why isn't it true? Why, do you, why isn't it true? Oh, because that, that, that Bible you have, you know, it's so old. I mean, you know, everybody's past that now. You know, we're, we're so beyond that antiquated book of, that book of antiquities. We're so beyond that. We have evolved. God's word is timeless. His truth is timeless. He changeth not, nor does his words changeth. Amen? His word doesn't change. Culture will continually try to change what is truth. We see it this year, big time. 
Truth is ever evolving to this culture, and it always will be, but this is the absolute truth. See, you live in a world that says truth is relative. What you believe is true may not be true for me. I can do this because this is true for me. You carry that, that down the road. Murder's true for me. It's okay. It's not wrong. Totally okay for me. I can kill you. It's okay. Totally okay for me. That's my truth and you can't step on it. Oh, I can. And I'm not ashamed of it because God's absolute truth says murder's wrong and it's sinful. Amen? So stand on the word of God. Guard his word. Thank you for joining us. We pray you enjoy today's message from God's Word. For more information about us and our church, please visit us at www.sycamorebc.com.